We had night one of Fighter Fest this week, and a surprising title change closes out the night. We'll talk about that and everything else that happened next on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, let's start it off with the TNT Championship match that opened up the night Wardlow versus Orange Cassidy. I put up on our community page, Ralph, a poll on how long this match would go. Less than a minute. 1 to 5, 6 to 10, 11 to 15, and 16 to a time limit draw. And for the most part, everything with the exception of 16 to 20 minutes was voted on. It ends up going 11 minutes and 38 seconds, I believe, is the total. But I actually made a deal with someone saying that if it went 15 minutes, the episode would just be you doing a rant on this match because I knew you would have blown a gasket on it. Nonetheless, it comes pretty close. So. I'm I'm going to mute my mic and I want your thoughts first on this match between Wardlow and Orange Cassidy. Well, unfortunately, I'm going to have to disappoint a few people because I don't think this was the worst thing in the world. And the reason I say that is because one, it kind of confirmed a lot of things that we've talked about, about as far as uh, Orange Cassidy and his true position within the company. You know, yeah, he's he's had big matches, most of which I think he's he's lost. You know, he's had some credible wins if you want to call them that over guys like Chris Jericho or over his unsanctioned match or whatever it was called or whatever they deemed it against Adam Cole so he's had his moments but by and large when the 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 cards are down when his back's against the wall we just kind of get exactly what expect what we expect out of him he's going to lose to the top tier guys he's not a guy that's going to be the, the heavyweight champion he's not a guy that as of right now is going to go over somebody like a Wardlow. He's an attraction. He's got his niche fan base. And this is exactly the type of match uh, that I think people are going to clamor for. If you like Orange Cassidy, you probably love this match. If you hate Orange Cassidy, you probably hated this match uh, for, for all of the reasons. But the one thing we got out of this is, is, is this. They had to go so far out of their way to protect him in my opinion, in so many instances, did he get some offense in? Yeah, he got some offense in against a guy that is just so obviously so much larger than him. Like it's you, you can't not see it. Um, there was a chainsaw in the ring at one point. Um, Dan Housen got involved. All these shenanigans. He tried uh, to out, get outside interference. I mean, hold on. Hold. He, he tried to get involved. He didn't actually get involved. He walked away before he could actually put the curse on Wardlow. He knew better. But I believe that led to Orange Cassidy landing an orange punch or whatever that maneuver is called on the outside of the true. ring, which that is true. Allowed him to to turn the tide and get some offense in. Look, I these are the types of matches I like when you have the much larger guy like a Brock Lesnar or Wardlow going against the smaller guy because. It really makes for a natural storyline. David versus Goliath, whatever. You're, you're naturally going to root for the smaller guy. The problem is, one, there was zero build to this, and I absolutely b blame Tony Khan for that because as of right now, unless something's going to happen down the road, there really was no point to have this match. Um, you know, and you got Orange Cassidy kind of fighting from behind. They're both faces. They're both over with that crowd. And other than that, I mean, it, it really wasn't much more. So do I hate it? No, I don't hate it because they went so far out of their way to protect Wardlow and to protect Orange Cassidy that, you know, what could you say? Yeah, he got some offense in, but they had to protect it. Um, I don't know. 
that that's 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 my impression of the match. I didn't hate it. Obviously, I'm not going to love it because I'm not into Orange Cassidy's gimmick. I thought that was going to be a lot worse. I thought we were going to get a full on ramp, but you calmed yourself down somehow. But my thoughts of this match were honestly, I thought it was almost perfect. Almost. And the reason why I say almost is because the offense that Orange Cassidy got in, which was not as much as people would probably say he got in, especially those that hate Orange Cassidy, it made sense. He evaded a charging Wardlow in the corner and was quick to, you know, hit a couple shots in the turnbuckle. Fine. He got the orange punch on the outside after Dan Housen was trying to curse him. Fine. You know, he reversed or tried to evade a F10 and try to evade a power bomb into some offense. Fine. The only spot that I had a problem with that turned me off with this match was the beach break. You're yes. telling me a guy that's 167 pounds and has a six to seven inch height difference can lift a guy like Wardlow with practically no effort and hit the beach break. Well, it's not that he can't. That's the problem. It, it, it's not to say that somebody his size can't. Obviously, he can. He did it. The problem there is needs to visually. Be some effort. It had to be an effort. He did it effortlessly. Well, and, and I go back to my original point. I don't, I don't blame either of these guys. I thought it was the match itself. I think we could probably both agree. Um, you're going to get people that love it. You're going to get people that hate it. I didn't find it overly egregious. Just the match itself. What I question right. is why, why, why this match now? Why your most over guy and uh, uh, one of your most over guys in Wardlow against one of your most over guys in Orange Cassidy with zero build. Uh, for a championship where you have to go so far to your way to protect Orange Cassidy. The crowd was somewhat weird and divided, uh, especially when they threw out uh, Trent and Chucky e. T there because it's like, well, they're, they're supposed to be faces. And, you know, I, I, I again, I, I don't I don't knock the wrestlers for this. I, I'm knocking whoever decided to kind of put it together. Unless it leads to something down the road, I guess we'll have to see where it goes. But as of right now, I... I don't get it. Like, I, even like you said, him picking up Wardlow, like Wardlow's supposed to be your unstoppable, unstoppable beast. Uh, he's the guy that you invested. What? Three plus. He's beaten up. What was it? 20, two weeks ago, we saw him beat up 20 or 30 uh, security, 20 security guards. guards. Yep. And now we got a 160 pound pound guy, 165 pound guy tossing him around. Visually, what's the point of that? What are you trying to accomplish? Like, I get it. Right. Pro wrestling. Let's not overthink it. But at the same time, and again, people are going to disagree with me on this because they won't separate their internal bias and their, their allegiance to, to AEW. They'll just go along with it. But you got to understand there's people out there that are going to see this visually and say, what, what the fuck? Why? What, what, what? There's no way. There's no way. Right. And, you know, I, I, felt I, like, I don't know. I felt like I felt like this could have been a huge opportunity to give a third dimension to Orange Cassidy. And I think they blew it because... The reason why I set the poll up on our community page was because I wanted to see if people were going to say, is it going to be a quick squash? Were they expecting a quick squash, a quick squash from Wardlow? Or are we going to get the similar matches that we had with Pac or Will Ospreay or the triple threat match for the AEW World Championship where Orange Cassidy puts in an effort? I felt like in this case, and this is the way it was going at first, 
where it was just not Orange Cassidy's day and everything he tried, Warlow had an answer for. You know, he's bigger and he could match up with him athletically to where that stuff isn't going to work where it did with Osprey and it did with Pac. It was just not his day. And then the offense came in and was like, okay, they kind of threw that out the window. They could have built this up in a way where, you know what? Orange Cassidy has to think it to himself. These fans love me. They want me to be a champion. I'm going to have to start trying now and actually give him a little bit of a, a character other than I'm just going to do play kicks. There's got to be that third dimension. For those that say he, he is a main eventer, that's what's missing. He does not have that third dimensional character that most main eventers do. It's not about work rate. It's not about promo ability or charisma or whatever. It still comes down to character. You need to have that depth. And, that, and Orange Cassidy does not have that depth in his character. They could have started that this week. And maybe they still kind of can. But I felt like the match itself did not lead you to believe they can go down that route because he got the offense in. He got the beach break on Wardlow. And now I know the other side of the coin was, oh, Wardlow needs to be tested or else he's Goldberg. <laughs> you know what? Let someone else test him. You know? You got guys like Powerhouse Hobbs or Keith Lee or Cesaro, Cesar uh, uh, you know, or Hager or Adam you know, Page, Adam Page, Kanosuke Takeshita, who had Mox. a brilliant match. Moxley. There's plenty of guys that could test him. Orange Cassidy's not the guy you want to test whether or not he can last in the ring. It just makes it look bad. And those that say it made him look bad, I can see where they're coming from. And those that say, you know what, this was a decent match, I can see where they're coming from too. But I think it did not elevate Orange Cassidy, and I don't think it did service to Wardlow either. I think this basically put that they came in the same way that they came out. They're in the same spot. Did not elevate either. I don't think it necessarily diminishes Wardlow because he still won the match, but... We'll see how next week goes. I'm sure people still pop for him, but people just want to see him do the Powerbomb Symphony for now. There's nothing wrong with that until you get him a guy that he's not really necessarily allowed to do that because they're smarter, they're better, they're more experienced, whatever the case may be. I felt like they they just dropped the ball on this. And, and what makes it odd is, you know, late, and, and yeah. <laughs> Because people are going to say, "Oh, well, you know, you're 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 have an old mind for the wrestling business because it it's got not about you got that. you got Wardlow who's two seventy going against a guy and he's so over." Well, okay, but later in the night you saw literally the same dynamic in Luchasaurus and Griff Garrison, and what happened? There was a squash. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. I I don't know. I I don't know. I I I've been coming on here for the past three years saying the same thing about Orange Cassidy. If they're going to do anything with him. He's going to have to add some extra different, like you said, depth or dimension or whatever to his character. Otherwise, he's going to be stuck in the same position where he's going to lose to the top tier guys. Right. And uh, that's uh, not on unsanctioned matches so he could be Adam Cole, um, whatever else, you know, right. stuff like and that. So that that is where like the R-Truths and the Santino Morellas and, you know, even the Hurricane who once beat The Rock. That's where their limit was because they did not have a third dimension to their character. So obviously they're not going to be main eventers. That's all I'm saying. 
He literally so, said before the match, I don't care. Right. So, but, you know, one guy that definitely has a third dimension and plenty of different versions of himself to go along with it. Chris Jericho comes out to cut a promo about his barbed wire everywhere match that's happening next week against Eddie Kingston and tells us that the pain maker's coming back. After that, Eddie Kingston cuts a promo backstage. He says, bring it on. I'll make sure that you bleed and you suffer for this match. I'm excited for this match. You know, the build has been one of the better stories AEW's told for the last few months. And hopefully this is the payoff for it. And it seems like the way Jericho cut this promo, he's telling it like, whatever happens, this is it. This is our final match of this saga for now. Yeah, and that's literally what he said. He said, this is it. This is the last match. And, you know, this this is the good version of Jericho, that uh, the, his ability to go out there and we talk about character and depth and all that type of stuff, because for the latter part of however long he's been doing the Jericho Appreciation, appreciation Society, uh, we've gotten, like, goofy Jericho and fun-loving Jericho. And, and that's okay. I mean, it has its place, but this is... Uh, the Jericho that I think was like a callback to the original Chris Jericho in AEW, much more serious tone going into what is like a blood feud, one final match against a guy that is out to hurt him. Um, I thought it was a really good promo. I think it called back to the original promo. I think he caught on Eddie Kingston where he talked about his inability to reach the pinnacle of pro wrestling to reach the, the reach, uh, the level of success that Chris Jericho had. So uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to this match. Uh, I thought Jericho cut one of the better promos that I've heard from Chris Jericho in a really long time. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always good to see that he still got that in him. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I like this a lot. Uh, I, I did, too. And I love the little line there saying that we attacked Ruby because that's your Ruby, you know, like, yeah. you know, prize possession or, you know, just because her name is actually Ruby. So it's a nice little play on words there. So I, I, I feel like Obviously, Ty Conti and Ruby Soho are going to get involved in this match somehow. I don't know to what extent, but I feel like they're going to get involved. Obviously, we have the Jericho Appreciation Society being suspended on shark cages thanks to the tie-in with Shark Week next week. So it seems like Discovery has no problem with AEW. So it's another tip of the cap for them. But... You know, you have JAS also saying, hey, if we're being suspended, why aren't the Blackpool Combat Club and Ortiz getting suspended? So maybe everybody gets suspended. We'll see. It should be a combination of violence and comedy like this whole storyline has been. Pro wrestler versus sports entertainment, even though pro wrestling is a form of sports entertainment. Try to debate me on that. I'll just give you the definition that has the word entertainment in it and go from there. But speaking of pro wrestling... We had a definite pro wrestling match next on AEW Dynamite. John Moxley in an eliminator match against Kanosuke Kanosuke Takeshita. I swear, I hope I I'm gonna get this name right by the time this kid wins a championship in AEW, and I'm guaranteeing this happens because this kid is good. He's really damn good. I think he's what 27. I think they said he's got great strikes. He's got great agility, great athletic ability in the ring, could tell a story. But one thing that got me most in this match, the dude can sell better than anyone on the AEW roster. He really can. I don't know if there's anybody that can sell better than this kid. 
He sold the hell out of the blood coming out of his head. You know, he had moments where like a shot of adrenaline got him to the move and he passed out. He, he like he he's got it. He understands everything that needs to happen in the ring. Now, again, he's one of those that we'll see what he does character wise and language barrier is going to be a problem. But I think an AEW could kind of get away with that where he could get a decent mid card, upper mid card push in AEW despite him not officially being on the roster. Yeah, you know what I you know what I like about him is the fact that even like at certain points in the match, if you go back and watch it, like there were times where and and I hate the spot because one, it's overused, and two, it's just screams like phony, like where the guys stand across from each other and throw the elbow strikes or just chop each other or punch each other back and forth. When that point happened later in the match, he was hardly throwing the elbow strikes because he was acting as if he was exhausted, which is exactly mm -hmm. what you'd expect that late in a match, in a match so physical as this. The other thing I like about him is, yes, he does the high-flying stuff, but it's not a lot of the over-the-top crazy flip stuff just for the sake of doing it. He throws in, like, a frog splash or, um, you know, like, a, a high spot was him, like, I think he reversed the Death Rider into a Blue Tiger Bomb or whatever that mm -hmm. is called. I believe that's what it's called. Um, stuff like that, like, just... High impact moves that are gonna get the fans to react when it comes from out of nowhere, um, and yeah, I, I, I out of the couple of times that he's been on Dynamite, he's definitely taken advantage of his opportunities, and this was no exception to that. So he had a great match with Moxley last night, right? And, and you talk about, I mean, Moxley, and then before that, Hangman Page. He's had yeah. some pretty solid matches against guys that are world champions in AEW and were the world champion at the time of you know having See, their matches. And to go back to Wardlow, that's exactly the type of guy that you'd want to like test Wardlow and bring exactly. him to the brink of defeat yes. because it's believable because you've seen him go out there and contest with top ranked champions. And, you know, visually, this isn't like a 160 pound man in there. It's like a guy that can legitimately um, stand across from Wardlow and have somebody look at it and be like, OK, well, maybe maybe that guy has a chance. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know where they're going to go with him, but I definitely think that, you know, when you compare him to like somebody like a, a Wheeler Yuta who just came from kind of out of nowhere based on a couple of good weeks with a, a bunch of really good matches, I think that they can do something very similar with him. Yes, I agree. I totally agree. Like, even if, you know, because he bled with Moxley, does this mean he goes <clears throat> into the Blackpool Combat Club? Because that was the same initiation that Wheeler Yuta had to do. Yeah. You know, you bleed with me, you're on my side. So, you know, could this be that Kanoste Takeshita, I think I said that right, is going to join the Blackpool Combat Club? And I think that would be great for him because you have the mouthpiece in William Regal for him. And then there you go. It's off to the races with this kid. Now, if, I, I don't know what his contract is in Japan. I think he's with DDT. And I don't know what the extent is, but if Tony Khan could get this kid signed to AEW... That's a great signing for him. Next up on AEW Dynamite, we had Christian Cage come out with Luchasaurus in the ring are the Varsity Blondes. Before the match of Luchasaurus versus Griff Garrison, Christian Cage cutting yet another one of his very personal promos, this time aimed towards Brian Pillman Jr. It seems like now the rule is if you're an AEW and you have a dead father, Christian Cage is coming for you. This time he says, you know what, Brian Pillman, 
Some call him a legend. Not me. He was average at best. But I respect the guy. He he bled, sweat, and you know, gave tears to this business. But he'd probably be appalled that the last thing he gave to this business was you saying that towards Brian Pillman Jr. Then Luchasaurus comes out, has a quick squash match with Griff Garrison, ends up going to the outside where Luchasaurus puts both Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. through the table, and that's the end of the segment there. Honestly, Christian Cage has had some good promos since this whole turn started, but I felt like this one here was not the best one. I don't think it got the reaction that the other two got. And I also felt like maybe that's because we already heard this before with Jungle Boy's father, Luke Perry. And then we've already heard the jokes of Griff Garrison looking like Jungle Boy, which is, the I think, the obvious reason why they had Luchasaurus face Griff Garrison to keep that tie-in with Jungle Boy, having Brian Pillman's father, you know, be dead and also... Uh, Griff Garrison looking like Jungle Boy. I felt like if there was a time to kind of bring Jungle Boy back, maybe this could have been a good time to do it. But I'm not upset that they didn't pull that trigger yet if he's not ready either. They could definitely still build on to this. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the promo itself was pretty much par the course, exactly what, what he's been doing the past three or four weeks now. Right. Um, I thought it was a good way to utilize Luchasaurus, like obviously give him a good win, have him look strong because you want him to be that like uh, menacing force that's supposedly there to help Christian. I think we're all kind of now just waiting for this, you know, interaction or face off between either Christian and Jungle Boy or I, at some point maybe Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. But I think that's what we're all kind of waiting for now. So. Yeah, the promos are great and they're good and they're kind of prolonging the story as long as, you know, Jungle Boy is either out or injured or whatever's going on with him. So um, I think now we're just at the point where we want to see Jungle Boy come back and right. see what's going to happen with them. Right, that's true. And I know next week they have the match of Luchasaurus and Christian Cage versus the Varsity Blondes. I believe that is on night two of Fighter Fest. But moving on to the next match here, Claudio Castagnoli against Jake Hager. I've... You know, it gets the We the People chant going. You know, obviously their tag team run in WWE with Zeb Coulter. I felt like Claudio just dominated this match for a good portion of the match. You know, and I'm not necessarily saying it's bad. I just thought it'd be a little bit more contested knowing Jake Hager's background and being an undefeated MMA guy. And he got a little bit of offense in during the commercial break, but I felt like Claudio just like, but pretty much had most of the offense in this match and eventually winning this match with the Ricola bomb. So, you know, another impressive win here for Claudio and continues his winning streak in AEW. Yeah. You know, I found it interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because you know that especially with AEW and WWE, there's definitely a lot of tribalism between the two companies and the fan right. bases. And, uh, not only they not, did they acknowledge their past, which I, I'm fine with. I think that, companies should do those types of things because it's kind of silly to ignore the fact that there is some sort of relationship between these two other than just an AEW. Correct. Um, so I believe it was, uh, whatever he said, eight and four, whatever, whatever their record was. Uh, so mm -hmm. that, that was a good callback by Excalibur. And then the they fans had 100 chanted, matches as tag, as a tag team. I think he okay. said, 
And and just the fact that, you know, the that the fans were chanting we the people, I found it ironic because, you know, they're chanting for uh, the tag team are using the chant that was originated in the company that has bad creative and all that other stuff. So, right. um, found that ironic, but you know, that being said, I think that Hager gets for whatever reason, his critics and a bad reputation. I thought this match was good. I thought mm-hmm. it was hard hitting. I thought that, uh, Cesaro definitely hasn't missed a beat in the short time that he was out from the WWE and going over to AEW. Um, they're definitely booking him strong. And I, I thought the match itself was good. You know, there's going to be people out there in the comment section that will tell you you're acting like Jim Ross, though, because he's not Cesaro anymore. He's Claudio Castagnoli. Ah, uh, whatever. <laughs> I can't say his last name fluently, so. Castagnoli. You're Italian. You should be able to say that. Castagnoli. Yeah, ravioli. We'll work on it. There we go. We'll work on it. But next up, Anna Jay versus Serena Deeb in a pretty solid women's match. But Serena Deeb ends up getting the win here with the Serenity Lock. You know, she does not let go of the hold afterwards. So Mercedes Martinez comes in for the save in efforts to build up this match for uh, death before dishonor for the ring of honor world women's championship. So at least we're seeing some kind of build for this in AEW, obviously Tony Khan owning ring of honor now. So you got to push the pay-per-view somehow. And with ring of honor, not having television, this is a good way to do it. I know they've been building it a little bit with them being a tag team. Now they broke up and now they're having the women's championship match. So fine by me, but I will say this block here of this match followed by backstage segment with thunderstorm, Britt Baker and uh, Jamie Hayter follow. I think followed by Jade Cargill followed by Anna J and Ty Conti. I think this is the most involvement with the women's division in AEW since the first episodes, you know, in 2019. There was a lot of women involvement in that one block there, which included a match that went through picture in picture and then three backstage segments back to back to back. Yeah, I thought definitely a lot of more investment, I guess, that in recent recent weeks or months or however long in the, the women's division and storylines and stuff like that. Um, you know, it seems like every dynamite we get Jade Cargill doing her, her little bit there. So that was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anna Jay for what it's worth. I thought she looked a lot better in the ring. There were a couple weird sloppy moments in that match, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, the ultimate cringe moment was when she said as a comeback, well, at least I didn't shut Ruby's car, uh, hand in the car door. And I was like, really? That was your comeback? Like, yeah, come on. You couldn't do better than that. But um, it was okay. It was what it, it was. That's what was in the script. I'm sure that was in the script. Oof. You know, cause AEW, you know, they don't use scripted promos. That's all improv. Anyway. Uh, I, I just like the fact that there's multiple storylines going here. And obviously with Anna J and Ty Conti, what does that mean with Ruby Soho and that involvement? Does this, you know, does Anna J now get involved in that match next week in the, barbed wire everywhere match maybe maybe not we'll see but just nice to see women involvement on AEW and storylines being progressed outside of of whatever one match they get in that time slot but I will say this one thing that I think is a problem and it's not just Britt Baker I think this is kind of happening throughout multiple promotions they cut a promo 
And basically their promo is everyone sucks. And when I'm gone, the, the division sucks. That's not how you do a heel promo. You still have to build up the other, you still have to build up the baby face so that it's like the person beating you. It's a credible win. But if you just knock down everybody saying they all suck, what does that mean for your win? And yes, I'm also including Roman Reigns in that for those that are going to come at the comment section. Well, Roman Reigns says this on SmackDown. I'm saying that too. He should not be going out there saying I've beaten everybody and I'm walking out. That's bad too. Like why as a heel, are you just shitting on the division? You still got to push him up a little bit. Look at what Heyman's doing. For example, Right. He's, he's basically cutting a babyface promo for Brock Lesnar without Brock Lesnar saying anything on Monday. That's what you have to do as a heel. Yeah, it, it's just tough because it's <laughs> everything she said is fairly obvious. Like when she's not oh, there, no, it's true. It's true, but you don't want to. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. You don't want to just tear everybody down and, you know, not try to put get people over at the same time. So, yep. All right. Main event time. Triple or nothing, triple threat match for the AEW Tag Team Championship. Young Bucks swerving our glory and Team Taz, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Ricky Starks. Ralph, I'll let you start your analysis of this match because I have something I have to say about this and I, I need to calm down. I need to take some deep breaths first before I say something. So go ahead. Wow, okay. So uh, I thought the match was good. I was certainly surprised. Um, I... Again, one of those things, I'm not going to have a knee-jerk reaction. I am shocked that the Young Bucks dropped the titles. I don't know if somebody is hurt. I don't know if there's some sort of plan to get the Young Bucks involved in the uh, Briscoes FTR match, which they probably could have done as still being champions. But I, I don't even know if they just decided, you know what, let's drop the titles to give the fans like a, a, a reason to cheer and to leave the, the show happy so the heels didn't go over. Um I don't know. Uh, but that being said, I am not opposed to the title change. I thought the match was good. Um, I am slightly disappointed that Hobbs and Starks didn't win because I would have liked to seen them get the, the nod here. But uh, I'll take Swerve and Keith Lee. And uh, yeah, I, I thought the match was fine. The match was very good. I will start off with that. I thought the match was very good. I love the sequences that we got in this match with the super kicks and you've got powerhouse Hobbs doing freaking frog splashes three quarters of the way across the ring. Yeah. Everyone's doing, you know, crazy stunts, a typical tag team match that you're going to see in AEW, which is very chaotic. Here's my problem with it though. One, and I've said this before and I'll keep saying it until they stop doing it. There's no reason. <laughs> no reason whatsoever that only two teams are legal in a triple threat match. They don't pay it's, attention to that rule anyway. That Let me finish because that's my point. It's utterly stupid, especially when everyone is in the ring already causing confusion and you have a guy like Rick Knox who does not enforce tag team rules already to begin with. And then, of course, now he's he actually starts enforcing, you know, start putting a 10 count in. You can't disqualify him. There's no disqualifications in a triple threat match, Rick Knox. But then when all the chaos happens and all the, you know, the super kicks and powerhouse Hobbs does all these spine busters, right? Here's where the problem is. After he does the spine busters, 
He tags in Ricky Starks. From that point on, we get some more action, and it leads to the finish where Swerve pins Ricky Starks. What's the problem with that situation? He's not the legal man. Thank you. He's not the legal man. This he has been happening since the legal week one. Man. It's been happening since week one in AEW. This is why I have put I have put that on the back burner. I've given up on their ability to pay attention to the rules and just focus on the action and just say, all right, I know what to expect out of this. There's not going to be rules. The tags are going to be uh, here and there and wishy-washy. And But here's the funny thing, and I hope this is part of a storyline. Excalibur actually points out during this that Matt Jackson is still the legal man. And no one tagged in Powerhouse Hobbs to then lead to the tagging of Ricky Starks. And I'm not even seeing this on Twitter. The only person I saw point this out on Twitter was me. When I actually tweeted out Tony Khan, Tony, check the tape. Ricky Starks was not the legal man. This is why you have to have all three teams legal in a triple threat tag team match. And you thought I was going to go off in Orange Cassidy. The tides have turned. Well, I'm a stickler for rules. I actually umpire baseball games when I'm not working, having a kid, you know, and a family and this podcast. That's another one of my thousand projects that I do to, you know, keep myself sane. And even that doesn't work sometimes. How hard is it? There's a, like, if it's a triple threat match with three singles wrestlers, one guy's not sitting out of the ring to get tagged in. And they only do this. They only do this to try to create the illusion of blind tags. And yet they still messed it up. And I hope, I hope this leads to a story and not just a blunder that they overlooked. Because I think here's where they're actually going to go with this. We are going to get the Bucks versus FTR for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. And since we never got <coughs> a tag team match, an actual straight two-on-two tag team match between Swerve and Our Glory and Team Taz, that's your AEW World Tag Team Championship match at All Out. Possible, yeah. And uh, you make a good case. I just don't know. I mean, I know that they are actually a company that tries to focus on like the minor details, especially stuff like that. But uh, I, and it wouldn't be the first if, time. And especially if you're going to be sports-oriented, you know, instant replay is part of that. Certainly is. And if you're the EVPs, throw that card in. Throw it in. Why not? The Bucks got screwed. And so did well. Ricky Starks, because he wasn't even the legal man. All right, let us know what you guys thought of AEW Dynamite Fighter Fest this week in the comments below or tweet us at SCPB Podcast. Please tell me I'm not the only one that saw that Ricky Starks was the not legal man in that match. Don't forget to share this all over social media. We'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psychobabble.